Good morning. My name is Spencer Brooks. I'm the lead pastor here at St. Stephen's Church. It's a blessing to be here with you today as we explore God's word together in the midst of our time of worship. Gathering together, whether you're joining us digitally or in person, gathering together as the body of Christ. It's why we worship every Sunday. We gather in, in this time and this space to be together as one people with one Savior, Jesus Christ. As if I had to name him. I don't know why I thought I needed to say his name anyway, but I did. Over the last few weeks and, and for the next, uh, we are continuing a time of talking about waypoints, um, exploring the essentials of our faith. And two weeks ago, we explored prayer. Last week, we talked about acts of mercy. This week, we will turn to the waypoint of the study of Scripture. And next week, we explore worship and the sacraments. As we turn to the study of Scripture, I turn to a passage not about Scripture itself, but one that uh, tells us a little bit about how we experience Scripture and its effects on our lives as followers of Jesus as those growing in depth and maturity of our faith. So we turn to Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. The preceding verses talk about the ways of the flesh, as Paul writes to the church in Galatia. This passage talks about the fruit of the Spirit. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We live by the Spirit. Let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. While I was in seminary, one of my professors, his name is Charlie Brown. I don't know how he made it through life, but he's a wonderful human being. And maybe that's a result of his name. Dr. Charlie Brown. He taught uh, pastoral care at, at uh, my seminary. And he was a great teacher. The, great, the best teachers I remember in life are those that not only taught the subject matter well, but incorporated things about life into it, connecting how we live it out or maybe how it, uh, it changes and affects our lives. And, and Dr. Brown was one of those people. In the midst of our reflections uh, in terms of pastoral care, talking about how do we connect some topic to scripture and things of that nature so we can help people turn to God's word in, in particular times of need. And he took a little aside and he said, you know, it took me about 10 years after seminary to start to read the Bible devotionally again. Because every time I turn to the Bible, now I'm looking at it from a seminary perspective and, and, and unpeeling it like it's an onion. Going through all of its layers and measuring this and that and the other. But after about 10 years, I could just sit with the Bible 
in devotion. I thought, wow, you poor soul. I had no idea he was telling us something. I thought he was just making a confession. I don't know. But as a, in that period of my life, I experienced the same thing. You sit down with the Bible and you start doing all the questions that, that those professors taught us in different classes, uh, preparing for sermons or for Bible studies or for different other things uh, in leading the life of the church. So I, I added other things to my devotional life to kind of fill that void. And after about 10 years, I don't know, I didn't count it exactly. I, don't, I didn't wake up one day and, oh, finally I can read it devotionally. It just happened and I don't know when. But in that moment, I realized that nothing that I added to my devotional life could replace the Bible. The Bible is that space. It's one of those thin places, as we talked about thin places in our lives of prayer where we get closer to God. Reading scripture can be a thin place, bridging the gap between heaven and earth, between eternity and now. As we, as we sit down with it to explore God's word, to search the scriptures, that's John Wesley's term for way of talking about reading the Bible. He didn't say read the Bible. He would say search the scriptures. So as we explore these waypoints, waypoints being those things in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ that help us to determine not only where we're going but where we are. To understand our circumstances right now and how we get from here to where God wants us to be. As followers of Jesus, he gave us one commandment in two parts. Love God with everything that you are and your neighbor as yourself. That's our final destination in this world. And how do we live into that in its fullness? Prayer, acts of mercy, studying scripture, worship and sacraments. Those four things taken together and not a la carte, picking and choosing, but taken together help us to live into that fullness more completely, more deeply broadly. So today we do turn to the Bible and explore the transforming effect of Scripture as we search it, as John Wesley instructs us to do. John Wesley, if you don't know, one of the founders of Methodism. I say one of because sometimes he becomes called the founder of Methodism. He had a brother, Charles, who wrote like most of the hymns in our hymnal and way more than our hymnal would ever hold. And there were others, but he's the most prominent figure in Methodist history as a, as a founder of our particular uh, way of following Christ. He didn't start out to start a new denomination, a new church. He just started a movement of people who were a part of the Church of England who wanted a deeper relationship with God, a deeper understanding of their faith, a more faithful way of following the way of Jesus. And he established little societies, little groups of people who gathered during the week. He said, go to church on Sunday, but during the week, meet together. And they had three rules for gathering. You've probably heard these. They're the general rules. You may, some of you have anyway. Um, said quickly, they are do no harm, do good, and attend upon the ordinances of God. 
That third thing has been replaced at times with uh, the phrase love God, but, it's, but it needs more explaining than that. So attending upon the ordinances of God and Wesley's understanding was doing those things that help us to be close to God so that we may grow in our love of God. And those things include worship, uh, personal and family prayer, the sacraments, fasting, and searching the scripture. He didn't say reading your Bible, searching the scripture. As we talk about reading the Bible today, that's the phrase that kept returning to me in terms of our development as followers of Christ. There are a multitude of reasons why we turn to the Bible. We turn to the Bible for for instruction, sorry, my brain locked up there for a second. For instruction, for inspiration, for affirmation, and other things. But as we look at the Bible in terms of a waypoint, we also turn to Scripture for transformation. For an encounter with God always leaves us different. And if we look at the Bible not simply as uh, letters printed in a book or displayed digitally on your tablet or what have you, but see it as God's way of connecting and communicating with humanity. Through these 66 different books that are put together in one volume with this overarching theme. Each book has its own different thing and, and different authors looking at different stuff. But the overarching theme from Genesis to Revelation is God's relentless pursuit of humanity. And as we turn to the Bible as that, looking for how God is reaching out to us. God wants to be reconciled to us, wants us to be reconciled to him, wants us to be close to him searching the scripture for evidence of that, for God's communication of that. Again, not just for information, but for transformation. And John Wesley believed that the Bible, that scripture, was the primary source for understanding God's will. He prayed deeply he spent a lot of time in prayer. He said he started every day with two hours of prayer, but if he had a busy day, he started with four. But the Bible was primary in understanding God's will. Wesley is said to have been a man of one book, having written many, many books, and sacred and secular, but the one book that was primary to him was the Bible. It was foundational and primary for understanding God's will. A professor, Dr. Albert Outler, identified different aspects of John Wesley's life and his writings and his works and how he approached Scripture. And he developed this four-word statement, a four-word description, rather, and it's called, known as the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. As we, as we come to understand our faith, looking at scripture, traditions, reason, and experience of God's love, those four things speak to us. But he, Dr. Outler, has a little bit of a regret around all of this. Because as people heard the term 
quadrilateral, they made it a square, all sides being equal and each one having equal weight in our understanding of God. But Outler said it's more like a parallelogram. That's not his word, that's my words. Where scripture is always foundational. It's always primary. It has the longest line in that quadrilateral. And the others are subordinate to scripture, but they still speak to us in how we understand our faith, how we explore God's will alongside of scripture with traditions, uh, reason, and our experience of God's love. And not only did he want us to explore scripture because that's what we should do as followers of Jesus, he called that a means of grace. And Wesley's idea of a means of grace are, are, are unique ways of experiencing God's unconditional love for us. That love that leads us to love him in return and love others as ourselves. There are many different things that he named as that, but he equates that with the sacraments even. The sacraments are our primary means of grace, you might say, holy communion and baptism. But he raises these, those ordinances of God to means of grace as well, and he would do the same for acts of, of, acts of mercy. But we experience God's grace as we explore God's word. So that not only are we blessed by it or we're lifted up by it or convinced by it, but we're transformed by it. Again, every time we encounter God, we, we walk away a, a different person in some way, shape, or form. And as we consider scripture from that perspective as transformative, not just informative, because we can know the Bible forward and back from Genesis to Revelation and still not be transformed by it. It can be information that we have consumed and, and may or may not have incorporated into our understanding of ourselves and the world around us, but when we explore it as God's word to us, we start to hear it differently. And one of the ways that I've found that helps me to understand and appreciate as I explore scripture, how that transforming power is at work in my life as a whole, not just in scripture reading alone, but in all of the things that we do as a part of our faith. Some of these passages become mirrors how am I doing in my faith? How am I growing in Christ? How am I becoming more and more like him? Little Christ, that's what Christians mean, little Christ. How, are we become, how am, I, am I becoming more and more a little Christ? Some, there are three that came almost immediately to mind, but I know that there are more. One is the Ten Commandments as a mirror, not as seeing how others are doing, because we really like to do that, right? We really like to say, how, how are you doing in relationship to this list? What we need to do is hold it up as a mirror. It's not a looking glass that we look through, rather. It's not a window pane that we look through, but a mirror that we look at it ourselves. And those Ten Commandments talking about our relationships with God and with others, how are we doing with that? How are we doing 
One of those other mirrors, um, well, by, and if you don't know where the Ten Commandments are, you can find them actually a couple places, but one of those is Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. Also one of those mirrors is the Beatitudes. As Jesus is uh, preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, we call it, Matthew 5 from 7, he begins that long teaching series with this list called the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who can be a mirror for us as we explore faith, as we're growing in likeness of Christ. But also, a thing to keep in the back of our minds as we explore these mirrors is to know that we don't look at the mirrors, okay, now I gotta, I gotta fix this all on my own. We do that in partnership with God. It comes as an extension of our faith, working alongside the Holy Spirit. The Beatitudes, if you're not familiar with them, blessed, at least found in Matthew, Luke has, has some different nuances to his list. But Matthew, the poor, the blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not that because they're poor in spirit, because they know they are, and they want more. Blessed are those who mourn, for they are comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If any of this list didn't already tip you off that you need help, that one should be the one you return to. The pure in spirit. I don't know about you, but I don't walk around like that. Not on my own. Pastor Minu and I had an opportunity to gather with other, other clergy in the Richmond district on Monday as we met in a smaller setting, our new bishop, Bishop Sue. And she talked about the fact that someday she knows she shouldn't go into the office because she's not prayed up enough. When you don't see these things reflect, I'm sure she still goes, however. But identifying within ourselves when we're not living into these things as, as we could. Then the Beatitudes go on. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But the list I really want to explore with us this morning is that first scripture from Galatians 5. We can know all the scripture, but if these fruit are not evident in our living, it hasn't made a dent in, our, in who we are as followers of Jesus. We can do all the other right things, whatever they may be, we might consider them to, to be, but if we don't have these, as Paul says in Corinthians, we're a clanging gong, noisy cymbal. The fruit of the Spirit are these. If you remember, you recall from the reading earlier, if you uh, want to turn to them later, Galatians 5. First is love. He starts with love. The unconditional love that God is calling us to through Jesus Christ is actually probably the hardest thing on this list, but he starts with it. He starts with it because it's an outpouring of God's love towards us, and then we are meant to reflect that out into the world. 
joy. The joy that comes from knowing that we are in God's hands. A joy that is not connected to our circumstances in the moment. It's a deep and abiding sense of I walk with God. It's not a Pollyanna view. It's not a, it's not a forgetting the cares and the chaos of the world. It's knowing that all of that is still there, but I walk with God and God desires to walk with me. There's joy in that. Joy that isn't dependent upon our circumstances. And the same can be said of the next one, peace. Love, joy, peace. Jesus calls it the peace that passes understanding. I like to say doesn't make sense. Again, it's not dependent upon our circumstances. Our peace is dependent upon one person, and it's the person of Jesus Christ. He is our peace. And a peace, again, that abides, that remains, that sticks with us, even though the circumstances around us should be saying something completely different. Patience. Ooh. You know, there's all kinds of jokes around. Don't pray for patience, because God will give you something to work with your patience on. Pray for patience, but just be ready for it. And know that you don't have to, again, to grow in it on your own. It's a partnership with God through the Holy Spirit. And if you're really struggling with it, spend some time in the book of Job. There's a, that phrase, the patience of Job. The, the one who pleased God so much that the tempter had this little ongoing thing with God that said, you know, that guy, he only loves you because you give him all this good stuff. So they have it out. And all that good stuff goes away. I'm really summarizing right now, by the way. And Job pushes back against God. Pushes back hard against God. Showing us that God can deal with our frustrations, our impatience, and even our anger and disappointment. But God would say of Job that he still pleases me, not because of his anger, but because in his anger he comes to me with it. And Job endures to the end. And God's blessings return, or doubled, actually. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The world doesn't need more nice people. The world needs more kind people. Kindness is niceness put into action. We can be nice in a moment and keep on walking. But when we turn that niceness into kindness, it's that uh, it's good stuff that remains in the moment. It's not the how you're doing while you're still walking. It's how you're doing and you stop and listen. That's one very small example. And Jesus talks about that type of kindness in the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm not going to go through that. If you, I encourage you to look it up if you're not familiar. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. You know, in our grace, the, 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 the prayer that I grew up saying before every, any meal, uh, that I could say in like a second and a half, 
because I was hungry. I was always, I still, man, not as much anymore. But anyway, we started off with God is, and God is good. Why do we have to say both of those things? God is great means he's able. God is good means he wants to. God is good. We have serve a benevolent God who wants to do good things. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, you may be familiar with this line. Um, there's a scene in, in the book or in the movie, if you want to watch the movie too. The movie does a pretty good job of some of this. They're talking about Aslan. Aslan is the Christ figure in this, these, well, the series of books. And he's a lion, and he's a large lion. And they start to learn who he is, and, and they ask, well, is he safe? Oh, no, he's not safe, but he's good, but he's good. God is great. He is powerful, and he is good. And he calls us to look at the world in a similar fashion. Might doesn't make right. Goodness does. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Returning to God. That's that returning to God, even when things aren't right, returning to God again. I don't, I, sometimes I get dizzy returning to God because I've turned the other way, even if just for a moment. Faithfulness, returning to God, trusting in God. Gentleness. It equates to that word meek in the Beatitudes. In, in Greek, it, it's a word that really reflects a bridled horse. Horse who could be powerful, but yet is tamed by that little piece of metal in its mouth. It's restraint. It's humility. It doesn't mean weakness. Being gentleness. Being gentle. Not because... We have no other choice. Being gentle, even though we do. And he wraps it all up with self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Pulling all of those things together. And we can't live into that on our own. That's why this is such a good mirror for where we are in our relationship with God and Jesus Christ. How am I doing in this stuff? And, so, and don't get caught up in the whole, well, if, if it's fruit singular of the Spirit, does that mean if I have, I have to have all of them? Like if I have all of them, then that's one thing, or, 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 or am I building individually? Don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. You, have, you don't have a fruits bowl at home. You have a fruit bowl. So sometimes we get hung up on little things like that. Don't get hung up on that. How am I doing? Lord, how? And turn it into a prayer. And that's one other way in which Scripture becomes transformative is sometimes we don't know the words to pray. Turn God's word into our prayer as we explore Scripture, as we encounter something that we're struggling with. Lord, help me here. Sometimes you don't have any concept. Turn to the Psalms. There is a prayer for almost everything in the Psalms. Maybe not your specific situation. But they get real with God too. Scripture 
is meant to be inspirational and aspirational and informational, but it's also meant to be transformational. Have those other devotions, have those other resources you use to help lift your faith and encourage you along the way. Sometimes those are helpful in, in terms of how do I apply this to my life or, or maybe speak more specifically to a situation that helps you out. Those are wonderful and those are great, but don't let them replace Scripture. Let them walk alongside it. And as we walk with the Scripture as our, as God's Word may continue to work on our lives and in our living. May it be more than just a something we, we do every once in a while or something we do because we put it on the calendar and eventually becomes a holy habit. May it be a, a way of life for us, turning to God's word on a regular basis, searching the scriptures for God's expressions of love, love poured out towards us, and the love that transforms us so that we might turn it around to the world around us. Because Scripture also can be a mirror of God's grace, as seen so profoundly in the parable, what, the, what we call it, the parable of the prodigal son. It's, it's so much more. The son who leaves and the son who stays and the father in the midst. We see God's grace in the Father poured out to the Son who returns after he has left. We see God handle the Son who stays, who's jealous of the Father's response to the Son who returns. Mirrors are a reflection of God's love. Turn towards us, even when we turn from him. May we lean into the transformative power of searching scripture, looking for God's reflection, for God's image, and using it as a mirror in our own lives as we seek to be more faithful followers of Jesus Christ, using it as a waypoint in our journey of discipleship. Let's pray. Lord, the psalmist says that your word is a lamp unto our feet. May it guide our path, may it light our way as we indeed seek to be faithful followers, not just for our own good, but for the good of those around us and for the good of your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray, amen.